Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. A lot of times you can come to a church like Wildwood and you have an opportunity to see some people maybe you don't know very well. And one of those individuals might be my friend here, Greg Hill, who is uh, our pastor of worship. And many of you have seen him up here playing guitar. In fact, you can play multiple guitars, right? Yeah. And he's got a lot of uh, musical talent. But I thought it would be good if we just took an opportunity for you maybe to share a little bit about who you are. Tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about your family. Sure. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, my name is Greg Hill, and uh, we've been at Wildwood for 20 years now. That's kind of amazing to think about. Wow. And I started playing guitar with the band 19 years ago. So I've been up here with this great group of people for quite some time. And uh, I have a wonderful wife who's at home tending to our daughter who had shoulder surgery a couple days ago. Uh, we have three kids. Our oldest is married and expecting our first grandchild at the end of the year. So we're excited about that. Grandpa! Yeah. Grandpa! I know, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and our, our, our daughter Katie and Ryan are both at OU will finish up a year from now. And I've been on staff for 13 years now. Amazing. It has flown by, hasn't it? It certainly 13 has. 13 years. I used to work at Hitachi Computer Products for quite a few years before coming here. And I've always had the desire to, to serve and be a part of the team. And when the position opened up to come on staff full time, I uh, wanted to jump on that and, and uh, see what God would do. Great. You know, uh, one of the things we have an opportunity to do as staff and hanging out with Greg is we can learn a little bit about his heart and learn a little bit about some of his convictions. And I thought maybe, I know your title is worship pastor, but maybe you could just expand. I know, I know you believe and we believe firmly that worship is more than just some musical stuff. So maybe you could just unpack that a little bit for us. Sure. I think it's always helpful to define terms and talk about what we mean by the word worship. We, we kind of throw a lot of terms around pretty casually, and we usually know what we mean by that. But when you look at Scripture, you see that uh, there's often a context of bowing down, of reverence, of respect, of awe. But you also see in the, in the New Testament where there's a spiritual act of service. And so if we think about the context of a worship service like we're in today, there's a whole lot more than just the singing portion. Yeah. There's, there are things that take place throughout a service of worship. There's the teaching of the word. There's prayer. There's communion. There's baptism. There's singing. There's giving. There are things that happen in a worship service, singing being one of those things. Now, it oftentimes is referred to as worship because it's the way we can perhaps most actively engage and express ourselves. We're not just listening, but we're hopefully singing as well. You may be standing. You may be Eyes closed, your hands may be up. Whatever your, your, your position and posture is up to you. And, and, and we want people to feel comfortable to express themselves however they want to. So we want to create an environment up here in which people are free to, to worship God and respond to him in whatever way they see fit. And, and one worship definition that I like is our response to all that he is with all that we are. Oh, that's good. We respond to all he is with all that we are. And that can take many forms, obviously. Mm -hmm. Singing just happens to be a, a, a popular one and one that we try to, to lead and, and model uh, worshiping God through song on Sundays. Well, I really appreciate you, and I appreciate the fact that you, you model worship in all those different arenas in your own life. It's just great having you as part of the team. You're, you're a valuable member, my friend. Thank you. appreciate that. Give a hand to Greg Hill.
And I'm going to let Mark introduce our new series. And you're a little froggy today, my friend. I am. So pray for Mark. Thanks, Bruce. It is uh, going to be a challenge for me to keep my enthusiasm down. Because if my enthusiasm stays down, my voice might stay up. So we'll, we'll give that a try this morning. But I'm very excited about this new series. Very excited about the topic we're going to be looking at over the next three Sundays, which really is a topic of why is it that we gather for worship? Why do we gather? We, we have these things on the calendar. We show up here on Sunday mornings. Why, why do we do it? Why do we keep doing it? Um, sometimes we've been ingrained in a habit of showing up, but we've never really thought about why we're coming on Sundays. And really, when you, when you think about it, um, the world in which we live is set up to isolate us. As a matter of fact, even the technology that we've created to help us connect sometimes can help us to isolate. Broadband internet, <clears throat> cell phones, those kinds of things, they, they help us to have our own world, not a shared world. When you think about how that plays out, let me give you some examples from my life growing up. Now, when I begin to talk about my life growing up, some of you are gonna hear me talk and are going to say, you are sounding very, very old. Others of you, whenever I share these examples, are gonna go, what are you talking about, Sonny? You are very, very young. Let me tell you about some change. But the reality is that the world in which we live is increasingly set up to help isolate us. Let's think about this, for example. When I was a kid and I would watch television, we would watch TV um, on one television in our home. We had one television really connected to the outside world. If we we're gonna watch something, we watched it as a family. We watched it together, not only inside of our house, but also in our community. We would watch the same thing at the same time. But the world in which we live now is not set up that way, is it? The world in which we live right now, we have multiple screens in our home. Think about how many different screens you have in your house. Laptops, computer screens, televisions, cell phones, iPads. Uh, there are, we all watch our own thing. And not only do we watch our own thing, but we watch, our, we watch our own thing at our own time. We don't have to share anything. We're isolated in our experience of what we watch. But not only are we isolated with what we watch, we're also isolated with what we hear. When I was growing up, we would wanna listen to something, um, popular current music. Where would we listen to it at? We listened to it on the radio, on stations that we shared, listening to the songs that they picked for us. But how do we listen to music now? Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Google, whatever your, your, your form is, you have your own playlist. You listen to your own radio. You don't have to share it with anybody. Not only does it happen in what we see and not only does it happen with what we hear, but it also certainly also happens um, with even how we worship. When I was growing up, if you wanted to hear someone preach, for the most part, you would go to a room, to a building, and you would hear someone open up the Word of God and preach, and you would share that experience together. But now today, there are thousands and thousands of sermons that you can listen to every single week at the touch of a button, delivered right to you. See, so we're able to isolate around our preferences. It's impacted what we see, it impacts what we hear, it's impacted how we worship, and it's impacted how we think about the church. 
Again, think about the expressions of worship that we have together. Um, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't a Christian radio station within earshot of where I lived. If I wanted to listen to Christian music, I would have to come to the church. But that's not true now, right? And not only that, but we can listen to the Christian music that we like. If you like rap more than rock, you can listen to that. If you like hymns more than guitars, you can listen to that. Because of that, we think that we are worshiping um, all the time on our own. Why come to this room and listen and sing to the songs that somebody else has picked out when I can listen to the songs that I like in the comfort of my own living room or in my own car? Why come to this room and hear somebody with an awful voice try to preach today when you could stay home and listen to the best preachers in the world, to Andy Stanley, to John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, whoever you like, you can listen to them. Why come here when we can listen to who we want there? And not only that, but why come to a room like this, a diverse room filled with people very different from me? Why come to this room when I could just go to a Sunday school class and be around people just in my life stage, people very similar to me? See, we live in a world that makes it possible for us to isolate. So why do we come together? Why do we come together on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and at 11 o'clock in a room like this with a diverse group of people to worship. Why do we do it? Well, the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about that. And we're gonna talk about it really, and this is the answer. I'm gonna give you the answer up front. The reason why we gather to worship is because of who God is and also because of who we are. That's why we gather to worship. We gather because of who God is and because of who we are. Now, it's gonna seem a little out of order the way that we're going to approach this because I'm gonna begin today by looking at who we are. We're gonna get to who God is and we're gonna see evidence of that today and we're gonna look at that. But I think it's important for us, maybe a new perspective for us to think about why we gather is because of who we are. And we're gonna see that today in part one of this series by looking at the book of Ephesians in chapter two, verses 19 through 22. So if you got a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Paul writes, and this is what he says. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a wonderful experience to drink water with 300 people watching and a camera on. So I just want you to know, in case you were wondering, it's awesome. <clears throat> we're gonna see some things today about why we come together. We come together because of who we are. We come together because of who we are. Now, in order to appreciate this, we need to see the full context of Ephesians chapter two. 
Because in Ephesians chapter two, we get the story of every person who knows Christ. Furthermore, we get the story of not just those who know Christ, but if you don't know Christ as your savior, we see at least part of your story in these verses. We have the story of humanity, a, a spiritual story laid out for us here. We see a number of things here. The first thing we see is that we are sinful people headed for death. We see this in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. Um, we're not going to have time to look fully at it, but I encourage you to go back and read these verses later because our story is in there. We see in those three verses that we are sinful, separated from God, though we were created in his image, but we were created to have a relationship with him. We find ourselves separated from him in a condition that the Bible calls death, separated from God. That was who we were if we know Christ. If we don't know Christ, that's who we are right now, separated from God. But there's more to our story. Second thing we see is that God is loving and he offers life. We see this in verses four to seven. We are sinful and headed for death, but God is loving and he offers us life. He does this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. When he died on the cross, take the penalty for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God and spend an eternity with him in heaven. Our identity, our destiny went from death to life. If you know Christ, again, this is your story. This is your spiritual story of what God has done for you. If you don't know Christ, this is what is available to you, not death, but life. It's available today. Jesus' death 2,000 years ago is available to give you life this morning. Paul describes our story as we being sinful, headed for death, God being loving, offering us life. In the way that that is activated in our life is through faith. It's through belief. We see this in verses 8 to 10, where we see that God gives life to those who believe in him. It is a gift. It's not something we earn. But by God's grace, we receive by faith the salvation he offers us in Christ. For those of us who are followers of Christ, that began in a moment, and it has continued on to this day. For those who don't know Christ, again, it is available to you this morning, right now. Life is available, not through earning it in your good works, but through trusting what God is offering you in Christ. See, the spiritual story of us is those being sinful, headed for death, God being loving and offering us life, and us believing and receiving that by faith. And when that happens, verses 11 through 22 let us know that he saves us, God saves us into a community. The life that God has provided for us is not an, an isolated life. It's a life that is together with others. It is a life that is found in community. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Paul can't describe what it means to be a Christian in singular terms. He can't talk about me. He has to talk about we. You see, when we come to know Christ, we are saved into a community. And that's what we see in verses 11 through 22, a section of which I just read for us a moment ago. When we come to know Christ, our story is not an individual story. It's a corporate story. 
that we get to live out now in relationship with God. Now, what's beautiful about that is that we live in a world that is divided. We live in a world that is terribly divided, don't we? You cannot live in this world. You cannot watch a newscast. You cannot read a newspaper. You cannot go to a webpage right now without being reminded that we live in a world that is divided. We divide ourselves between Republicans and Democrats, don't we? If you haven't heard, there's a couple of conventions going on, maybe an election later this year. We divide ourselves based on our political parties, our political preferences. We divide ourselves based on a race. Again, you cannot live in America right now without being aware of the challenges that happen because of because of, of people being of different races and the discrimination that has followed that and been a part of the fabric of our country for a long time. There are real challenges there. There are real divisions there. Not only that, but there are divisions we want to divide based on gender. We want to divide based on economic status. We live in a world that wants to divide us. Now, here's what's interesting. This world that we live in that wants to divide us promises to unite us. But how effective is it at really uniting us? It promises unity, but it delivers division. What's fascinating to me is when we look at Ephesians 2, we see the solution to the division of our world. And it's not found in in just laws or policy or politicians. It's found in the work of Jesus Christ who takes diverse people and he unites them in a single community. You know, when we look at chapter two, again, in the verses from 11 to 22, over and over and over again, Paul keeps using the word one. He says, one this, one that. He talks about the unity that Christ has provided. He talks in verse 15 about the fact that Jesus has united us as one new man. It says in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What does he mean by that? Well, in the first century, they wanted to divide the world as Gentiles and Jews, but in Christ, in the church, those who know Christ, there's not two people, there's one. We're united not only in one new man, but he goes on and makes it even more clear. He says, in one body, in one church. He says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, verse 16, through the cross, killing the hostility. God has united us. He's provided unity in Christ. Though we we gather in many different rooms, even in this town, though we gather in many different cities, even in this nation, Though we we gather as followers of Christ in many cities and countries around the world, there is one body that is united to God and is found through the work of Jesus Christ. He provides real unity for us in one body. Verse 18 lets us know that we also are given one spirit. It's not that we in, in this place have one version of the Holy Spirit and Somebody over here has another version of the Holy Spirit, but the same Holy Spirit of God is indwelling the church wherever it is found. There's a unity that we are of one spirit. There's a, 
There's a unity that we are of one nation. Chapter 19 and verse A says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints. Our chief identity is not found in what is on our passport. It's found in who we are in Christ. That's why we can have unity with people regardless of where they're from. If they know Christ, we're of the same nation, we're of the same citizenship. Whether my passport says USA, whether my passport says Iran, whether my passport says Germany, if I know Christ, we have something most in common at the most basic level. We're connected as fellow citizens. Not only are we a part of one nation, but we're also a part of one family. The second half of verse 19 makes that clear. He says, your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No longer separated just to our own families of origin, but we are part of a household. God, our heavenly father, being the head of that, we have a relationship with him. We live inside of his household. Not only that, but we gather as a part of one temple. Verses 20 through 22 let us know that. Instead of thinking of worship as occurring in one geographic location, as was the case in the time before Christ, worship happening in the temple. Now, worship happens wherever believers in Christ are gathered, regardless of our geography, because we are gathering in one temple, a new temple of worship that God is building, made with human hearts instead of with physical stones. And so in in this way, Paul makes it very clear that what God has done in Christ is he has brought unity to the church. And the reason why we gather, friends, is we gather as an expression of who we are. Why do we gather on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 o'clock in this room with a diverse group of people? We do so because of who we are. We have an identity that is knit together. And when we gather on Sundays, it's an expression of that. Now, let me give you uh, an example that maybe will help drive home this point a little bit to you. Um, Very blessed today to have my parents with me, Um, my mom and my dad. Now, here's the thing. Uh, You got to know this and you got to help me celebrate them because I have no voice. I want to hear something for this, right? Um, We are celebrating this coming week their 50th wedding anniversary. Now, now that is, that is super exciting. Um, and we're going to gather in Dallas for a few days. My sister and her family, um, Kimberly and I and Josh and my parents. You see a picture of us here at Thanksgiving this last year. Now, why is it that we're going to Dallas? Why is it that, that Kimberly and I and Josh are going to Dallas? We're going there as an expression of who we are. We get to be a part of this. This is our family. It's an expression of our identity to show up and to celebrate. Why do we go and celebrate Thanksgiving together? It's because of who we are. It's an expression of my identity. I'm a Robinson. What a blessing to be able to gather with my family and to celebrate the good things that God has has blessed us with and to celebrate the relationships we have 
together. I, I get to be a part of that, and so that's why I go. It's, we gather because of, of who we are. Now, wouldn't it be weird if I said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go to Dallas. I could go, but I'm not going to go. You know why? Because I think I'd rather just have somebody else take pictures of the celebration in Dallas and send them to me so that I could see them and go, wow, that's neat. I'm glad that I get to kind of be a part of that. Even though I'm not in the picture, I'm glad I'm kind of a part of it. Wouldn't it be weird if I could go, but didn't for me just to, to, to sit, sit here and say to my sister, hey, why don't you FaceTime me in? Why don't you podcast that dinner so that I can feel like I experienced it a little bit? It'd be crazy for us to think of that, wouldn't it? Because going and being there is a part of it. It's an expression of who I am. And friends, here's the thing. When we gather as a church, we gather to worship as an expression of who we are. We, we begin to think many times that the, the church is about an information flow. If it's about an information flow, then I can get information a lot of places. And I can get it from the person that I like the way they say it. And I can get the songs that I specifically like. And I can gather with just the three or four friends that are just like me. You know, if it's just about information, it's those things. But why do we gather together for worship? We gather together for worship as an expression of who we are, a diverse group of people that God has united in Christ. And when we gather to worship and we look side to side and we look front to back and we sing songs that may not be our favorite tune, but you know what? We're singing of our Savior together. It's a reminder of the unity that Christ has purchased. It's an expression, friends, of our identity. We gather together because of who we are. Now, here's the thing. There, there are, are many instances in our world where somebody has to be away, right? I can show you the picture. If, if, if my parents lived in Vermont and we were not able to go and to visit them because of distance, um, it would be appropriate for me to want to see pictures and to just catch up with them briefly on the phone. Um, if I was deployed and in the military, we would do everything we could to maintain that connection that way. But if I have the opportunity to go, why would I not do so? I'm going to make it a priority to be there because of who I am. And in the same way, because of who you are, is it a priority for you to gather and worship? Now, when I say that, this is a funny thing to say because I'm literally preaching to the choir. You made it a priority to be here, but it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to think it's not that big a deal for me to be here this weekend. It's not that big a deal for me to gather and to worship because we forget that gathering is an expression of who we are. This year, will you make it a priority to join us and to worship as an expression of the household of God. Now, we see that from verse 19, but we see something else from verses 20 through 22. We see that we are a we. We see that we are a we. Now, that is kind of an odd thing to say. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that there's a picture of the church there's a picture of followers of Christ in verses 20 through 22, which is described in community terms. It's described 
with the fact that we are joined together. And not only are we joined together with each other, but we're joined together with every person who has known Christ since the very first century. What it says in these verses, down in verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, what is the apostles and prophets? What's he referring to? I think he's referring to the New Testament. He's talking about that, that era where the church formed. There was a foundation that was written about and given to us that we have inherited of our connection to Christ and our connection in community as a part of the church. The idea is that we are joined together in a new body that God is building that spans generations. It goes all the way back to the first century. Indeed, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the most important piece in that, the the anchor is Christ. It's what makes it possible for us to have community. It says in Christ, the whole structure is joined together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God and the spirit. Now, when, when you see that, sometimes we see that and we think that this is a great verse and that it liberates us from a geographic location for worship. And that's true. The temple that God has built is not located just in one town. It's all over the world. But here's what this passage also teaches. It teaches that gathering to worship is a corporate experience. It must be done in community. Now, we can worship God through our private prayer life. We can worship God through our private study. All that is true. But God has created us and designed us so that our worship includes a corporate expression. Again, as a reminder of who we are, as a reminder that we are a we. We gather together in this place together so that we might worship Christ together. Again, if, if worship is just about information, it's all about me. But when we gather together, we worship as a we. And there's a, there's a closeness that comes from that. There's a, there's a wonderful thing that comes from that. Because when we gather here to worship, I know that Tremaine and Jackie, I, I get to stand with them on their wedding day. And I get to worship with them on Sunday. We've shared that, that part of our life. My, my friend Wayne and Stephanie sitting out here, I'm able to walk with him through difficulty and pray with him um, and their family. Um, you don't get that from a podcast. Um, we're able to, to, to gather um, with Kelly and Melissa and through the difficult things that they've gone through and we're able to, to, to pray with them and, and fellowship and be a part of a community together. We're a we. And when we gather here on Sundays, we gather as an expression of who we are. That's why it's a priority to get together. We get to be a part of this. And here's the thing. As we gather as our we, we get to be an encouragement and a strength for one another. Because as we gather here today, there are some who feel distant and alone. Maybe you've just gone through a divorce Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you just moved to a new town. You don't know anybody. You can feel very distant and alone, but when you, you come here, you're a part of a family. Indeed, when I put the picture of my family up there, there were some of you that go, you're, you're kind of mad. I want to be a part of a family. Where's my family? We've got brokenness and heartache, and there's no picture like that. There's no trip this week. That's why we gather because we get to be a spiritual family together, a household of faith with God as our heavenly father. What a blessing, what a privilege, friends. 
as we gather in this place as an expression of our we. There are others who are here and they're like, yeah, that's great, but everybody here has got it together and I'm broken. Sin in your life, whatever it is. And you think, that must be for somebody else, but it's not for me. Here's the thing when we gather together. I'm telling you, this is a room full of broken people that God has redeemed. We gather to remind each other of that. We're a we, we're a family, broken yet redeemed in Christ. Others are here and you're thinking, no, I'm just, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. The, the world, the public events, the whatever has got me feeling that there's no hope, but we gather and we come together. We remind each other that our hope is not found here. Our hope is found there. Why do we gather to worship? We gather to worship because of who we are. Now, as I say that, some of you have probably thought this. Sure, pastor, you can talk about wanting people to come to church because you're paid to be there and you don't like to talk to empty seats. And so, There is someone here that hears this message, no doubt, and thinks this is somehow self-serving. And and I got to be honest with you for a second. It's possible in my flesh for part of that to be true. You know, I I want want everybody here. I I want that. But here's the thing. I've searched. I knew we were headed in this direction. I've prayed about this. I got to tell you, this, this message and the heart behind this is not about me. It's about us. It's about us. God wants something for us, not something from us. We gather as an expression of who we are. Will will you make it a priority this year to gather and to worship together in a diverse group as an expression of our identity, as those who've been redeemed in Christ? And for others who are here, know that this is not a private club. This is not something that you have to have an invitation from me to join. This is a spiritual family that is made by God. And God has invited you into a relationship with himself through Christ. And if you have trusted in Christ, let's be a part of a family together this year. As we worship him, an expression of who we are. Now, as we end today, um, some of you are going, praise the Lord. I don't have to listen to him say anything else. Um, but as we end today, I want us to end by singing a song together that focuses on our heavenly father. Because if we are a household, a household is led by our father and he is good. And so let me pray. And let's sing together. Father, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, that um, imperfect and broken though I am today, that your truth is your truth and your people are your people. And Father, your spirit can work in spite of us. Father, I pray today that we would find comfort in our identity as a part of your family. And Father, that we would make it a priority to follow you and walk with you this year. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.